You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. She warns you because she knows I'm armed. <laughs> and dangerous. But this message is a bit armed and dangerous. It's a little bit different from what I normally do. This fish and finances message I started two weeks ago. The Bible is full of interesting analogies, interesting stories, and, uh, and things to make us think. And sometimes you'd be reading along there and see something you think, what is that talking about? Well, it's generally not talking about the thing exactly. It's talking about something else. It's not always what it appears to be. Look at me. I've told you I was armed and dangerous. But don't be fooled. Everything is not what, you, what it appears to be. You don't have to have a license to carry this kind of gun. It's just a knife. I'm not going to say who gave this to me. But somebody in this church gave it to me. People are always giving me knives. Another guy gave me this one here at the church. No, not that one. A different one. Hey, I work in Oak Cliff. I'm armed. I, I, you know anything about Oak Cliff, you know that you need to have a weapon. We don't allow guns on our campus at Christ for the Nations. And I showed... Somebody there, my gun, my, 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 my gun knife the other day, I said, I don't carry guns. And one of the executives said, can I check your car? I said, that ain't none of your business. <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma, where I think I told y'all recently I did a wedding, and part of my pay was a box of ammo, nine millimeter <laughs> ammo for my Smith & Wesson. I love my job. <laughs> Get paid in pocket knives and ammo. <laughs> but when you're reading the scriptures, not everything is always as it seems. I showed you that gun knife to let you see that God packages things sometimes in veiled stories so that you, when you see it, you will really get it forever. You, it will paint a picture. How many of you think you might remember that little gun knife? How many of you have never seen one like that? I had never seen one like that. Well, now you've seen it, and it's going to stick with you because now you know, by, by virtue of that, that everything is not always what you think it is. When we read certain stories in the Scriptures, it's saying something to us other than, and you'll remember when we started this series that Jesus, that Jesus connected finances and fish. Right. Remember he was walking along the shores one day, his fishermen were fishing. What were they fishing for? They were fishing for their, not just for their food. This is their livelihood. This is their financial base. This is what they do for a living. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay. Now once, a couple of accounts of this leave out why they left their nets and followed him. But we're going to look at the one that gives you the reason why they readily followed him when he invited them to follow but today I want to pick up with where we left off last time, talking about Jonah in the belly of the whale. I think we left him in the belly of the whale, didn't we? 
He's been in there a while, two weeks now. You remember the, the fish? <laughs> he would be digested by now. The fish, the great fish swallowed Jonah up, Jonah up, swallowed him up, and he began to pray. This is in chapter 2. You can sum up the whole book of Jonah, something like this. Chapter 1, man runs from God. Chapter 2, man runs to God. Chapter 3, man runs with God. And chapter 4, man runs ahead of God. This is kind of the story of mankind, right? But, but in chapter 2, he's, he's running to God. He's praying for deliverance. This fish, if we look at fish as finances, this fish has swallowed him. And I think I'm talking to the right group. Most of you here at some point in your life have felt like your finances were swallowing you instead of you using them to, for food. They were using you for food. And most, most of the time, uh, Americans at least, are underwater when it comes to their finances because we've all been taught to get in debt as quickly as possible and stay that way. Build your credit. Build your credit score, get in debt as quick as you can, build your credit score. That's our way of thinking, when really that's not the way they thought in the Bible. They thought get out of debt and stay out of debt as quickly as you can. And be a lender, finish it for me, not a borrower. It's better to be a lender than a borrower. Amen. Now, don't get quiet on me. I'm not chewing on you for being in debt. I'm just telling you I know where you are. <laughs> Miss Ann and I have a few debts of our own we're working to get out of. You, can, you, you live a more liberated life when you're not in debt so much. Now, if, you're, if you've got debt and you have finances that you could get out of that debt pretty easily, that's not, a big, that's not a big bad problem, especially if it's a low interest debt. But, you know, most of us are not like that. Most Americans, I'm not talking about you guys, but I'm telling you, it's easy to get swallowed by your finances feel like you have no way out. And what did Jonah do? He ran to God. We get, remember what we said in the first part of this? I may have to give you a little refresher. The first thing God gave man dominion over was fish. It's the first thing he mentioned. Not cattle, not giraffes, not grass, not clouds. He, the first thing he mentioned was fish. And first mentioned things are important. The first thing. Most, most of us don't really have dominion over our money. Don't really have dominion over that which brings finances to us. Most of us, most of us are always wrestling, trying to catch more and catch more and catch more and catch more. Wind up moving from town to town to town to town, just chasing the money. And it's not really a good life when you think about it. It's the will of God for you to get somewhere, get settled into a great church like the river, and get connected where you can grow, where you can grow, where you can grow, where you can grow. And let money come to you rather than always having to chase it down the road. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. This is amen. good. Jonah verse, let's look at verse 9 of Jonah chapter 2. He says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So, the way you get, finish your your victory over debt and your victory over your finances, not just over debt, but over your finances, when you're feeling swallowed up, is to run to God and make some kind of commitment. Some kind of commitment for your vows. You know, 
I think it would be good if you just said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, not, 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 not tell me about it, not tell Miss Ann about it or Greg, you know, Greg's our administrator here, don't, you don't have to do that. Talk to God between you and the Lord. Have a conversation with him. Lord, as you give me ability, I'm going to do this financially for the church and for, our, for the ministry and for the poor, whatever. I'm going to begin to give sacrificially. I'm going to talk to you about sacrificial giving later, the, God's purpose for it. But you give sacrificially, notice, in Jesus' name. Salvation is of the Lord. I think I told you this last time, but this is an amazing thought to me. We translate what he said there, that last line of chapter 2. We translate, or next to the last line of chapter 2, the last line of his prayer, we translate it, salvation is of the Lord. That's not what he said. What he actually, actually said was, Yeshua. He said, Yeshua. That's Jesus' name, y'all. In the Old Covenant, in Hebrew, the way they say Jesus is they say Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus is the new covenant, Joshua. Let me say something to you. You casting out devils, you can say, I command you in the name of Joshua of Nazareth that raised from the dead. That devil's got to obey you. Come on, somebody, hear me. That devil's got to obey you. Because in their time, they didn't use the name Jesus. It was a Greek name. It means Joshua. It means, it means the same thing. We use Jesus' name. And I've cast out lots of devils, and they obey the name of Jesus. But in Hebrew, they would say Yeshua. And it's amazing to me that he's in the belly of the well, and Jesus said, There shall no sign be given to this lawless, this lawless generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The sign of the prophet Jonah was that he prayed Yeshua. Prayed out of his trouble. And when he said Yeshua, it says, what's the next verse say? It said, the Lord spoke to the whale. <laughs> the Lord spoke to the fish. The Lord spoke to the fish. Amen. God got involved when he used Jesus' name. Let me say something to you. Don't forget you've got the power name at your disposal. Hallelujah. For everything that's gone wrong for you, you have a way out. You have a way out of your trouble. You use the name of Jesus. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to talk about it because I'm in, the, I'm in this financial problem because of my own doing. You think Jonah wasn't in that whale's belly because of his own doing? It doesn't matter where you are. There's no condemnation in God. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. It matters not why you're in the trouble you're in. All that matters is that you found a way out. Glory to God. Amen. You've got to get past the guilt, past the condemnation. I, I have no condemnation to offer anybody. I don't care if you're so far in debt that you can't even see the bottom of the, of the barrel because you're so below it. Doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference. None of that matters. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Doesn't matter if you're in the bottom. He said this whale took him down to the depths, down to the bottoms of the mountains. This whale took him low. But the name Yeshua, the name Jesus brought him out. God began to talk to the fish. And when God talked to the fish, now let me say to you, it might not be the most glorious exit you've ever had. <laughs> it might not be the finest way to arrive on the shore. But personally, I think it was kind of good staging. I think God had it all in mind, all in plan. Can you imagine? Jonah gets thrown up on the seashore. His skin's probably completely white from the gases in the whale's belly. Been in there three days. His clothes are half digested. 
He's got seaweed wrapped all around his head. It said he did. He smells like, whoo! There's a fisherman out there fishing. He looks at me here. Behind him. And there stands a guy who's been in the belly of a whale for three days. And he says to this poor guy, repent. Now, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm on my knees right there, right there. It seemed to work pretty good when he got into Nineveh, too. They all turned to God. Pretty good staging, if you ask me, right? Got out with the name of Jesus. God spoke one word. Let me tell you, let me give you key number six. The word of God is your way out of financial trouble. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Let's start today's message. That's all recap for what we talked about last time. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9. Remember, when we're talking about fish in the Bible, we're really talking about how, how men lived. We, we use money. They used fish. Matthew chapter 7 verse 9. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Will he? Will he? No. Miss Ann's not the only one who knows the answer to this. Will he give him a stone for bread? No. You all have heard Curtis talk a lot about that. Verse 10. Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? No. No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask? If a father on earth would not give his child a serpent when he asked for a fish, imagine what the Father in heaven is going to be like when it comes to being good. The Father in heaven loves you more deeply, more powerfully than your earthly father ever dreamed about loving you. More, more dynamically than your mother loves you. More than your husband or wife or your children love you. More than your grandchildren love you. And my grandchildren love me. Because I don't know how to say no. Well, I know how to say it, but it just didn't work. I, I wind up saying yes later. doesn't matter how much anybody is, how much you've ever been loved. Your Father in Heaven loves you immeasurably more and if people who love you do good things for you, this is saying that God, in the dimension, in the proportion that He loves you more than an earthly father would love you, that's how much more He's going to do good for you than an earthly father would do good for you. Right. In the proportion that He loves you more, that's the proportion He makes to how He's going to do you well. Yeah. Oh, glory to God. Think about this. Since all judgment has been laid on Jesus, all condemnation has been laid on Christ on your behalf, that leaves nothing but the, for the Father to do but give you good things. That's what, he's, that's what He's wanting to do, is to bring good things into your life. Amen. Amen. He's wanting to help you, wanting to bless you. Prosperity, our point number seven, is prosperity is a good gift from God the Father. Prosperity is, if you ask for a, a fish... Are you going to get a serpent? Now, I want you to notice this. Do you see the demonic parallel here? Serpents in dreams always represent demons. 
always represents the demonic. If you dream dreams and there's serpents in them, get ready. Get ready to, for a battle because you, you, might just, you might just get attacked by the devil some way. Get ready for some, some sickness to try to come on you or some, some battle with your finances or something like that. You dream dreams, that's, that's God t- trying to tell you. Now, he's not telling you it's, 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 it's going to come and you're going to lose. He's telling you to get ready to fight. Serpents in, in dreams are an indication that the Lord cares enough about you to get you prepared for a fight. Don't be afraid you're a winner. Why would he tell you in a dream that you're going to be under attack just to get, get you ready to die? No. He tells you in a dream that you're under attack, that you're going to be attacked, so you can get ready to fight and win. Yeah. Amen. Amen. No, 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 no need to be afraid at all. You should wake up and say, thank you, Father, for that dream. Praise God. Most people wake up from a dream dreaming about snakes and go, oh, my God, what does that mean? Just wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, for the warning. Praise God. I'm going to pray in tongues all day today. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to be on fire for God. I'm going to witness to three people. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get myself prepared for the fight. Amen. And you'll win in that way. You'll win, and you'll know when it comes. You'll, you'll be, you, oh, oh, I know what that is. That's the devil. I know what that is right there. That's the devil. That's what I dreamed about. Had a guy tell me one time, he said, and, and by the way, Almost all reptiles are demonic things, but generally not snakes directly. Snakes are about demons directly, but other reptiles are about people that are demonized. I had a friend of mine tell me one time he heard a knock at the door of his house. I said, it was your house. I said, that's about your church. If you dream about your house, you're dreaming about your church. He said, that's what I thought. He said, I heard a knock at the door. He said, I opened the door, and it was a crocodile. So there's a crocodile at the door trying to come in the house. He said, slam the door. The crocodile tr- kept trying to come in. He said, I slammed the door. He sl- said, I slammed the door. And it kept trying to come in. He said, I just kept pushing it back. There was a woman in his life trying to take over his church. She was trying to eat him alive is what she was trying to do. I said, I hate to tell you, but this is about that woman in your life. He said, really? You think so? I said, no, I don't think so. That's what the dream says. Because I'd already talked to her one time, and I knew she had real issues, you know. I said, and he was a pastor. He wasn't married. I said, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd, you need to be careful. You need to really think about this relationship that you're in, because this is telling, this dream is telling you something. You really think so? I said, yeah. He married her. And it was exactly like the dream. They're no longer married. He, He went through the biggest trial. I mean, it was horrible, all he went through. But God tried to tell him. God did tell him. It was clear. <laughs> Pay attention to your dreams. All right, anyway. Especially, especially if there's reptiles and serpents, God's trying to get you a message. He's going to help you. I mean, think about what the Christmas story, this is not about dreams, but I'm going to, I'm going to spend a minute on this. Think about what the Christmas story would be, be like without dreams and visions. And the baby was born in a, in a manger in Bethlehem, and a few days later, Herod found him and killed him. Because there had been no dream to warn Joseph to take him and run. I don't know when that ended. The Apostle Paul went to Europe for the first time and established the church at Philippi because they had a vision in the night, a dream with a vision in it. Woke up the next morning and said, hey, we're supposed to go west. They said, west? I thought we were going where all the people were, going east. He said, no, nah, we're going west. But that's toward Rome. There could be trouble at that but that's what the Lord told us. How do you know? I dreamed a dream. 
We've all been Freudianized and taught to not to believe our dreams right. or to believe there's some, some perverse desire. That's all nonsense. Right. It's all nonsense. Jungian is nonsense too, if you like him better. <laughs> Jungian philosophy and Freudian philosophy, it's all nonsense. Just nonsense. Dreams are one way God talks to you. Okay, I'm just telling you. He said, will the Father give you a serpent if you ask for a Well, no. No. So it's not wrong to ask for provision. It's perfectly in, the, in, in line with God to ask for provision if you have these other things in place. And you've got to think, Father, Miss Ann and I, every time we walk down here, you just might as well know this, every time we walk down here together, we put our offering in that basket, and we say this is sowing seed because we add seed to the offering. You know, we, we, believe, we believe in tithing, and we add seed to it. I'm not going to tell you how much, but Greg knows. <laughs> we, we add seed to our to our offering, and, and we say, Father, we're sowing seed toward our debt-free living. Amen. Sowing seed, and it's working. Seed to your debt-free living. We, I don't want to be in debt for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be in debt for the rest of my life. The only debt I'm going to have is a monthly electric bill. <laughs> in debt for 30 days at a time. <laughs> Amen. Stay warm. Prosperity is a good gift from God the Father. Now let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Verse 3, Luke 5, 3. And he, Jesus, entered into one of the ships. He saw some ships on the, uh, you know, that were coming into port. Which was Simon's, that's, that's Simon Peter and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And apparently Simon did that, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. There was a great crowd of people had gathered on the shore because they heard Jesus was there. And he saw these ships, and he said, Hey, fisherman, would you let me use your ship? He said, Well, sure, Rabbi. And Jesus climbs up in the ship, and he says, Thrust out a little bit. And he goes out to the water and says, All right, let's stop right here. And Jesus preaches, uses the ship as his platform. And it, it amplified the sound so that the great crowd could hear it all. As you notice, he's often near water to get the amplification that water brings. You, you, you ever been out on the lake, especially at night? You can hear conversations a half a mile away. Hear what they're whispering in their cabin. <gasps> That's not his wife. Anyway... <laughs> you, because it, it carries the sound carries and so he gets on the, on the ship and starts preaching the gospel and while he had preached a little while now when he had left speaking it's interesting to me that the message he preached there is not recorded the events are what they want us to know about the events Surrounding that message. They don't tell us the message. They tell us the stuff that happens around it. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? It says he went out and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, when he was done speaking, well, what did he say? Well, we don't know. But we do know what went on. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. 
for a big catch. And Simon answering said to him, Master, or Rabbi, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I'll let down the net. What he's saying is, hey, sorry, carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I've been out here all night. The fish aren't biting. But I do recognize that you're a bit more than a carpenter. And I'll do it just because you say it. Listen to me, Christian friends. Sometimes you just need to do it because he said do it. Sometimes you need to do it just because he said do it. Sometimes he's going to tell you things you say, that won't work. I'm already broke. How is giving an offering going to work? That won't work. I've tried this before. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to receive an offering today. We've already done that. Relax. We will be receiving one next Sunday, though. <laughs> that won't work. Are you kidding? Give? Expecting to receive? No! I'm going to do it because you say. Doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm going to do it. I had a woman come to me one time. She said, Pastor John, I've got to tell you this story. She walked in my office, walks in my office, and she lays down two pennies, two pennies on my desk. I said, what is this for? She said, Sunday. You talked about the widow's two mites. She had two pennies. What we would call a penny, mites. When they use the word penny in the King James, they're talking about a day's wages. They're talking about a denarii or denarius. But we, you know, a mite was more like a penny. We, we, we would know a penny. She said, there's my offering. I said, what's going on? She said, Sunday, you said, you said, uh, that woman had two pennies. That's all she had to put in the offering. And she said, and I said to my fold of my arm, I said, I don't have any money to put in the offering. I don't have any money. I don't need even looking. She said, I don't have anything. She'd been looking for a job for three months. Wow. Couldn't find a job. Wow. She walks in there. She said, I'm going for a job interview today. And she said, I wanted to look nice. She said, I have no confidence at all that anything's going to happen. She said, I've been on 10 job interviews. Can't find anything. She said, but I dumped out my purse to change purses, to put it in a nicer looking purse. This is the purse that I had with me at church on Sunday. And I knew there was no money in that purse, but when I dumped it out, these two pennies fell out. She said, and the Holy Ghost said to me, there's your offering. She said, so I picked up two pennies up off the bed and I brought them straight down here to you. There they are. She was half mad. She was half mad. She said, there they are. She went and got a job, the best paying job she had had in years, that same day. Woo, glory. Oh, glory. Just do what he tells you to do. Just do what he tells you to do. We're not talking about $2 million. Sometimes it's two pennies he wants obedience with you. open doors for you. Simon answered and said, Master, Rabbi, we've toiled all night and took nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. Verse 6, And when they had this, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned to their partner, Hey, come over here! Which were on the other ship. 
that they should come and help them. That's, this is Peter and Andrew, and they're talking to James and John over on the other ship. They should come and help them. They came and filled both the ships so that they both began to sink. Can I say something to you? Jesus, what Jesus was doing was paying him rent for the use of his ship to preach from. So the Lord will not let your sacrifices and obedience go without abundant reward. We don't know what he preached. We don't know the message. He wanted us to get this message. He could have been saying the most glorious and awesome things in that sermon that they tell us nothing about. But the real point he wanted to make was this point, that whatever sacrifice you make, God will not let you go unrewarded in an abundant fashion. God is not trying to get things from you in any sacrifice that He demands. He's only trying to connect with you because of the aspects of the covenant that have to do with exchange. And He loves that exchange. That when you will sacrifice, that opens the door for Him to bless you like grandkids. Praise be to God. John chapter 6 and verse 5. John chapter 6 and verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up His eyes, when Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw a great company come to Him, He said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? He didn't say, how are we going to get enough money? He said, where are we going to go to get this bread? And this He said to prove Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. What he was doing was just seeing if Philip was in the right attitude. And let me say this to you. Your attitude about money is an important indicator of where your faith is. Your attitude about money is an important indicator about where your faith is. And the reason it's so big to us is because we all know that that money does not grow on trees unless you run an orchard. Money grew on cows where I'm from. We all know that we turn our lives into, that, into those, mon- those monies. And that's why it's so dear to most of us. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus said, Do not love your life. Because if you love your life, you can't help but loving money. Because you're turning your life into money most of the time. And the very fact that you will close up shop and be here on Sunday, says, shouts an enormous statement to the, to the planet and the demons and angels that I'm not ruled by money. I could be working today, but I've shut it all down to be here to worship God. Yeah. I've shut it all down Amen. to take time apart and say, I believe in the God who created me. I haven't lived perfectly. I may not do everything right, but I know a few things. There's a time to work and there's a time to worship. Come on, somebody, say amen. This is good. The time to work and it's a time to worship. I spend most of my time, most of us, turning our lives into money. But Jesus is saying, look, Philip, where are we going to get, where are we going to go to buy all this? Now look, look at Philip's answer in verse 7. Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. What? Why would he come up with that number? That's not a year's wages. That's not a month's wages. He picked the number 
that it represented seven months' wages. 200 penny worth, a penny, a penny was about a day's wage for an average laborer. You know what that tells you? That that's how much money they had on hand. Jesus' ministry team was loaded. Jesus didn't ask, how are we going to pay for all this? He knew he had the money. Maybe not enough to pay for all that, but they had a lot. That wasn't the question. He said, where are we going to get the bread to feed them? Ah, uh, we've been lied to about Jesus so much. They walk around broke all the time. That's just not true. That's just not true. How's he going to walk around broke when he started his life fabulously wealthy? When probably 40 or 50 kings showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it did not come all the way across the crescent, the, 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 the couple of thousand miles uh, the, the, around the fertile crescent. They did not do that to bring him three little coins. Ladies and gentlemen, this is nonsense. They brought him treasures. Which his parents, no doubt, no doubt, uh, you know, administrated for throughout his life. He had more than enough, and whatever God provided for him is what God is willing and wanting to provide for you. See, your money, because it is so attached to your life, has a supernatural quality to it. You don't realize it, but it does. It has a supernatural quality of reproducing. Yes, it does. It has a supernatural quality. And Philip answered, 200 penny worth not enough. Sufficient for that everyone take a little. This had to be how much they had on hand, no doubt. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? I mean, this is all we got. I got two pennies. How far will that go? That's nothing. Let me say it to you. Anything that you have in your hand that will not work as your harvest might just be there as your seed. Verse 10, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, what? When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Now why? Why do we got to gather up these fragments? I mean, you are a miracle man. You can turn a boy's lunch into a banquet feast for a multitude. Why do we have to be so frugal? It wasn't about being frugal. You know what that, you know what that gathering everything, everything up was about? Giving it all back to that little boy. That was all his. Can you imagine him going home carrying these baskets full of food? Mama, look at what happened at church. I tapped into something good, Mama. I carried my lunch, gave it to Jesus, and I got all this. But call our relatives. We're going to have a feast tonight. Twelve baskets full, one little lunch. That's why Jesus wasn't going to let any of it go to waste, because it didn't belong to him. It didn't belong to the disciples. It belonged to that little boy. 
Make sure he gets it all back. Glory to God. Come on, somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but if each one of those baskets only had as much as the little boy gave, that's 1,200% profit in one day. I want to be in that business. I want to invest my money so I make 1,200% profit in one day. Glory to God. If you got 12% in a year, you're pretty happy. Twelve hundred percent in one day. Glory to God. Therefore they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. What I want to say to you is the only reason God requires sacrifices so He can bless you, it is a covenant exchange. The only reason God requires sacrifice on your part is so He can bless you. It's a covenant exchange. You've got to think of it less like sacrifice, though, and more like seed time. When the farmer goes and buys a seed, he's not saying, well, I'm about to make a sacrifice to Mother Earth. But he is kind of doing that. He's... Giving it away, turning it loose, letting it happen. Whatever happens, happens. And it's not, it's really inconsequential what happens out there. All that happens, all that matters to the farmer is that he did what he was supposed to do. He can't make it rain. He can't make that seed do anything. All he can do is do what he's supposed to do. I told you all, I give bums money. I give alcoholics and drug addicts money on purpose. I got over that silliness by saying, well, you know, if you give him money, all he's going to do is go out and buy a bottle of hooch. Well, that's all right with me. I mean, it's not all right. I wouldn't do it. But I'm not giving him the money for him. Come on, somebody. You understand what we're saying? I'm not giving the money for him. What he does with it is not my business. I give the money for me. Because I don't want to ever let there be a callousness toward people who are in need grow in me. Amen. I'm speaking to you, to your heart now. How you deal with money dictates a whole lot of what comes out of your own heart. Your heart is connected to it. And that's why, that's why it's really important to do things that you don't want to do. The Bible calls our worship, our praise rather, a sacrifice, right? A sacrifice of praise. Well, I don't feel like, you know, I just don't feel like worshiping today. So you don't ever sacrifice, do you? Because if you always feel like doing it, it's not a sacrifice at all. You ought to rejoice that you have the opportunity well, I don't really feel good today. I think I'm just going to stay home. Okay. I'm preaching good right now. It's a sacrifice when you do it when you don't want to do it. You do it anyway. That's where the covenant exchange comes in. Because if you do that, God will do something like Cause you to catch fish that you can't contain in your boat. Yeah. 
glory. Try to elevate your faith today. Rather than thinking about how much you, you lose, think about what's coming. Think about what's coming. Fish and finances. There's a God in heaven who's keeping track. There is a God in heaven who is keeping track. He's keeping track. Not one seed that you have ever sown, that you have not yet seen harvest for, not one of those will the Father let go without producing. Not one seed. Every seed you've ever sown in faith, He's watching over it. He's a tender, loving care. He's watching over every seed. You've never given in one offering. You've never made one sacrifice. You've never lifted your hands to worship Him when you didn't want to that he didn't write it down, that he didn't mark it, that he didn't keep good records and, and tend that seed and water that seed for you so that your coming harvest will be extraordinary. Your coming harvest will be extraordinary. There was a day where Jesus was on the shore after he rose from the dead. Peter was out fishing and he looked over there on the shore and there's Jesus, yet again, cooking something to give them. What was he cooking? Fish. <laughs> the very first miracle we see him working for the disciples, the very first miracle he worked for the disciples, not, not the water to wine, but the very first one he worked for the disciples was that big drop we just read about where the, where the nets broke and it filled both boats full of fish. Do you know the very last miracle he, he worked for the disciples? Was another one just like that. They counted 153 fish, large fish. They could barely get the nets in. And it didn't break that time. Amazing to me that Jesus paid them well to start and he paid them well at the end. Paid them well at the start and paid him well at the end, and he sandwiched his whole time with those disciples and making them understand, you don't have to live without, not as long as I'm on your side. Christian friend, there's no need for you to live without, not when you know God is on your side. God is on your side. Casey and Parrish looked and looked for jobs. They looked and looked for jobs, couldn't find jobs, but they knew they were supposed to be here in Oklahoma. They knew they were supposed to be here. I mean, they were born in North Texas, and they could see the promised land from there, and they got here. <laughs> they got here. They wanted to be here, using their faith, praise God, laboring, driving long hours, and just, just, just kept at it. And then one day, boom, boom, they got, they got jobs the same day. Boom, boom. <laughs> Got jobs nearly as good as the jobs they had as far as pay is concerned, but better in many other ways. How many units did you have to oversee down there in Texas? Uh, 1,700 units. And for nearly the same money, you oversee how many down here? 208. <laughs> what would you pay for your stress level to go from 1,700 to 200? God is good. Praise God. And they're going to get to be here with us. You see, I think some of you may be challenged today. I, God doesn't lead me to re 
to, to preach messages like this without touching you personally. I want everybody here that has a challenge that you, and don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, but you say, I've got a challenge that's going to take God to come through for me. I want you to get up out of your seat and come up here real quick. I'm going to pray for you.